You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I am your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am here with none other than Agent Smith. Mr. Bilyeu. What's up, dude? How you doing? I'm good. I want to just thank everyone for joining us on Facebook Live or on the podcast or on YouTube. We appreciate all of your attention anytime you give it. A um, couple quick shout outs. Uh, you notice we're wearing our Impact Theory t-shirts. If you're, if you're looking to find one of these, you can always go to the Impact Theory store. It is shop.impacttheory.com and pick one up for yourself or for your uh, significant other or for your, Anybody your you mom. Anybody you want to empower. Anyone you want to empower in your exactly. life. Exactly. Yep. Um, and if you haven't already, go sign up for our newsletter. That's where we're going to start doing some really cool stuff. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be giving away uh, different prizes. We're going to be doing promo codes for the store. Nice. We're bringing some new things to the store to you in a few weeks. So look out for that. Newsletter is where everything is going to drop first. So you'll hear about it first. You'll get uh, the inside scoop, if you will. So go sign up there. Nice. And uh, yeah, I think I want to kick us off with a little bit of Dr. Drew. So you probably already know who Dr. Drew is. This man right here. Mr. Pinsky. Yeah, Mr. Pinsky. He's amazing. If you don't know who he is, here's a quick background. So he's a very well-known doctor who specializes in addiction. He's a board-certified internist and perhaps uh, most famous for hosting the radio and TV show Loveline for 30 years, uh, from 1984 to 2016. That is crazy. It's crazy. He's starred in a number of TV shows himself, including Celebrity, Celebrity Rehab, um, and he's also the host of the Dr. Drew podcast, which you've been on. Yes. Um, and, and we're a guest. And Actually, technically, I was on This Life oh. with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest. I'm mistaken. There you go. Okay. Telling lies one yes. lie at a time. That's right. <laughs> um, and last but not least, this guy has a serious set of pipes, if you didn't know. Um, you can check it out on the episode, actually. He, he breaks out into opera. He straight that, sings opera. It was amazing. He does. Um, and that was, that was really cool to see. So that's a fun part of the episode. If you haven't seen it, go watch it now. But uh, yeah, let's kick off into, into this episode. He, this is So every time I prepare for After Impact, I usually do it the morning of the shoot. Yep. And I listen to it on my commute. Mm. Um, to you know, refamiliarize myself with the episode and write down questions. Um, not while driving, but that's yeah. probably best. Yeah, um, this one was so packed with so much mm. information and so much value and so many different ideas. And he's just razor sharp, dude. His intellect is razor, razor sharp. sharp. Yeah, and he was covering so many different, you know, myriad topics from medicine to psychology to philosophy. It was fascinating. Um, I want to kick it off with. The feeling of dread. Nice. It's a weird place to start. Dread's always a good place yeah, to start. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, he actually mentions that he had, he calls himself a recovering workaholic. Yeah. He had um, a moment in his, in his life where he was just working so hard that it wasn't fun anymore and he got a serious feeling of dread. And I wanted to ask you if you had a similar experience like that when uh, you were back at Awareness Technologies in the late days. Yeah, no question. Uh, so much so that for 
years after we sold the company and I stopped commuting into, it was in Marina Del Rey, I would get that foreboding sense, even just like going to Marina Del Rey. Like yeah. I, I couldn't go eat at restaurants there, like nothing, anything that was like of that time, uh, it lasted for a long time. It is weird how it begins to like just seep into your soul. You feel it in your bones. It's crazy. So when he said that, I was like, I know that feeling so well. Yeah. It's really crazy. I've had a similar experience, so I know what you're talking about. Um, what, what should people do? Like whoa, first, whoa, whoa. You can't like drop uh, that and then just roll on. I mean, I'm not going to go into details, but I did no have a... No uh, What are you talking about? <laughs> I won't name names. No, right. no names will be named. Um, <laughs> excuse me. One, one, one job I had was uh, particularly stressful, and mm. I wasn't passionate about it, and... It was early on in my career and I was trying things out and um, over time it just built up to, it, it was the feeling of dread every time. And here's the worst part. I lived within 10 minutes, Ooh. a 10 minute walk to the office, maybe a five minute walk, like across the street essentially. Right. So the so sphere of dread get, included home. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which was bad. And it actually started to affect my health. I went and got a, Whoa. I was like young and I was in good shape, I thought, but I went and got a physical and my blood pressure was off the charts. Jesus, man. Yeah. And so I had to make a change. I would say. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. So I know that feeling of dread, it's horrible. What, what should people do? First of all, like, can you identify it early? Because you said it creeps in and I, I totally agree. I think you can, but man, there's really something to be said for hitting rock bottom, like mm. reaching that breaking point. And, and something to be said in the sense that most people, they can't stop it before they hit that point. Like it just has to get bad enough. Yeah. And it's hard to make a real life-altering decision when you feel like you're just making it. You know what I mean? Like there really has to be some weight. There's got to be something at stake. And the good news is that we have that dread in that sense is actually really adaptive right Mm -hmm. it's it's letting you know you're going in the wrong direction and it's just going to keep feeling worse and worse and worse until it hits that point where now you like you'll do anything to get out of that situation yeah and i think it's a little sad when it and i see this a lot with parents to stay together even though they cannot stand to be around each other but until the kids go to college like that's a little heartbreaking that people are just able to sustain like it's it's not too dreadful it's just dreadful enough to like yeah. survive for a while yeah that's that's brutal and no one wants to see somebody that they love go through that and you want to say like come on like either fix the situation or get out of it but people really have to hit that wall pretty fucking hard it's interesting you say that because uh that was another topic in the episode of how, how do people change their ways how do how do addicts you know, um, sober up? How Mm -hmm. do people make a big change in their life? And Dr. Drew says it happens in a moment. There's a moment when they know. And he, of course, ties that to disgust is one example. Mm -hmm. But um, do you agree with that? Do you think that like change happens in a moment? I know you've spoken about your past and certain moments in your life that like stick out to you where you knew things were shifting, right? Yeah, I I think that it's it happens in a moment because it's been building up so long, right? It is the straw that broke the camel's back. So you realize it in a moment. It's been happening behind the scenes. There really, yeah, for 100%. There really is that moment where something breaks. And that's exactly what it feels like. Because you go from, 
like internally something is stopping you because you still have fucks to give, right? Yeah. And then there is that moment where you're like, I now have zero fucks to give. Like, I don't care. I will burn Rome to the ground. I no longer care what anybody thinks about me. It will no longer negatively impact how I feel about myself. Like, fuck this. Like, I'm getting out of this situation. And not in a little bit. I'm getting out right now today. Like, no matter what it takes, I'm changing right now. So such is the beauty of pain. And that's why, to me, it's not about living a life devoid of pain or living a life with no negative voice. It's like, I remember saying for the first time out loud, like, don't try to silence the negative voice in your head. The negative voice is what kicks your ass, gets you out of bed, gets you focused, makes you want to do something. When Dr. Drew said that on the show about how disgust, in an instant, like somebody will see themselves in a new way mm -hmm. and they'll be disgusted by what they see, you make a change at that point. And he's 100% right. What were some of those moments in your life? Wow. Well, the easiest one. You got a couple, one, right? Well, yeah. I've probably had more than a couple. Yeah. Uh, the easiest one is at Awareness Tech because I was so emotionally broken that uh, we were going to leave the country. I mean, leave the country, homie. Yeah, I so, didn't know that part of the story. Until yeah. You were Dude, we had already, this is before Airbnb, but we had already um, gone online. We were looking for apartments in Greece. We were going to move to Greece and I was just going to write and learn the language and that was going to be that. And it, it really is fascinating how you get to a point where all you're willing to settle for is happiness. Like I will take nothing else, nothing. I don't care about being ambitious. I don't care about what other people think. I want to be happy yeah. and everything else is irrelevant. And so that was incredibly powerful. Um, and I think that you know, to your point, the earlier you can get there, the sooner you can catch it. Like, hey, this is heading in a really nasty direction. The better. Um, I think I'm being focused right now. Yeah. Hi, everybody. It's good to be sharp now. Um, so that's huge. Another time in my life that it happened, um, sort of similar, was when I crashed and burned in film school mm. and realized, like, I have to completely rethink everything. I have to rethink about who I am. And that, like, I've honestly never really thought about it to this extent, but that was the beginning of me needing to let go of a fixed mindset because it was, I was so crushed to think that I wasn't good enough because for me, that was the death sentence, right? Like, it wasn't that, oh, I could get good enough. Like, it was me realizing, oh my God, I don't have talent. And if I don't have talent, do I have value, right? And yeah. that's a fucking panic moment. So when you start asking yourself, do I have value? You've got two choices. You can either go down a depressive path, which most people do, or you can realize that doesn't help. And so I need a new mental framework to get out of that. And yeah. for me, that's when I doubled down on the king of remedial jobs. And while it was a step in the wrong direction, it was me at least trying to put together an identity that could let me feel good about myself. And so that began sort of the meditation on what it means to feel good about yourself. And it maybe was a slow time coming to realize that, in fact, this takes me to the other most important sort of breaking moment in my life when I realized I was arguing for things that were contrary to my goals. And I realized, wait a second, like, do I actually want to be successful? Or do I want to feel good about myself? Mm. And that's when I realized, okay, wait a second. Like, you need to feel good about yourself 100%. Like, you have to. But to build your self-esteem around something that is fragile is equally foolish. 
And so those three things are pretty much my sort of cornerstone moments. I suspect, though, that there are a lot of people who, and no judgment, like I've been in situations myself where I've probably not set back and had that moment of reflection and realized this is a moment of change, but I suspect a lot of people, you know, aren't happy or aren't fulfilled, and instead of stepping back and doing that examination like you've done, um, they just kind of keep going, just mm-hmm. kind of keep going along. What should they do? Like, how do, how do people get get better at self-reflection? Well, let me give you an alternate take. Um, Self-reflection is, first I'll give you the answer to that and then I'll give you an alternate take. So one, self-reflection, you have a feeling. Most people don't stop, like literally stop and say, what is this feeling? What is the root cause of it? Why do I feel unease? Why am I whatever? And like, for instance, one thing that, um, I've really learned to do was when I have unease, when I'm like explaining something to somebody, I realize the unease is born out of, I've now reached the edge of what I really understand. Yeah. But because I process verbally, I want to keep saying so that I can like figure out like where I'm at. But if you're saying it like you actually know and understand, then I would get this massive sense of anxiety because I'm like, I don't actually know this. I don't understand it. So I need a way to verbalize, but a way that acknowledges that I'm in exploration mode. And once I learned to identify that, then it was like, you'll even hear me say it. I'll say, I'm now at the edge of my understanding. Like I actually say those words. And that was born of me getting that feeling and going, God, why do I feel so weird all of a sudden? And then I would stop, okay, why am I feeling this weird? And I'm sure that was super bizarre for people when I'd be like, (laughs) like somebody had turned me off. Uh, And I would ask, like, what is that? And I'm like, okay, it's anxiety. What am I anxious about? I'm anxious that I'm bullshitting. Okay, what? And then it was, I learned to develop that phrase. Okay, I'm now at the edge of what I actually understand. And then I would like, but here's sort of where I'm thinking and what I'm grasping at. And so that was that teaching myself to use this sense of unease and I, I keep touching here because that's where I feel it in my stomach. We have to talk about that. Have we? No, I said we need to talk about that oh, soon sure. because of the episode, Dr. Drew. Oh but, yeah, oh but, my God. But keep going. We, we'll come back to it. I totally forgot that yeah. he brought that up. Yeah. So I'd feel it in my stomach. I totally forgot about it. That's going to be fun. All right, so I'd feel it in my stomach and I would, I would use that as a trigger to tell myself, stop. Stop. What is this? Assess. And then process verbally. Um, That's really important. So that's what you have to do if you want to get more self-awareness. And it it may not just be anxiety. There may be a hundred other feelings. But using that feeling to stop and to do it over the long haul, right? Because it's not just going to be once. Like it's going to be a process. You're probably not going to identify exactly what it is the first time. It's going to be a game of pattern recognition. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your 
full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. So I'm having this feeling, what is it? Oh, I think it might be this. And then you have it again the next time. You're like, well, I thought it was that last time, but it can't be that because I'm in this situation. And then you'll ultimately hone in on it. And it literally was just me doing that over and over Is and meditation over. a good um, tactic for that? No. No. Meditation is about clearing your mind. Meditation is about going from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous okay. system. For me, there are people I'm sure for whom they'd be like, of course, oh my God, this guy's a novice. I'm a novice. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, for me, I use meditation for one reason and one reason only. I get into an alpha wave state. I slow my breathing. I slow my heart rate. My mind begins to slow. Um, I'm in a calm, creative state. Yeah. That for me is like the sum total of why I meditate. Now, okay. there are people that meditate for decades and decades and decades, and they're 
able to do, I mean, and they put them in fMRI scanners, so this is not me just pontificating. Like, legitimately, they're able to, like, shut down the, oh, God, what's it called? The parietal lobe. So, and I think it's the right parietal lobe. I'm at the edge of my understanding. <laughs> um, it's either the left or right parietal lobe. I can't remember which. Um, and what that that's in charge of navigation. And the reason that's interesting is because that's how you define the ends of where you are. If you know where you end, then you can begin to navigate your way in space. Mm. When you shut that part down, that's when people start having mystical experiences because they literally feel at one with things. Why? Because it begins to dissolve the sense of you have endings. Is so fascinating. <laughs> that's amazing. So, and people that have been meditating for, they say 30 years, who knows if that's true, but people that have been meditating that long, um, that part of their brain begins to shut down. Oh my, this is so weird. So I'm looking at the words transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is exactly what does this. Transcranial magnetic stimulation shuts down areas of your brain. What is utterly fascinating is all the cool shit that happens to people is from turning parts of your mind off, not from turning parts of your mind on. How interesting is that? That is so interesting. So yeah. anyway, um, that is meditation sort of maybe ultimate conclusion they can do way cooler shit than I can do but that's what I use it for okay so now back to well that's self-reflection right so then the alternate um, take I'm going to remember this or I'm going to punch myself in the mouth um, your original question do not tell me your original question was about um, do I think that self-awareness is the key to that feeling I gave you the feeling, and then I think, oh God, I, I just can't oh. quite recapture what. I'll, I'll bring it back around. So it was, was say. we were talking about Thank moments you for of letting change. me try, though, guys. I really appreciate that. We were talking about moments of change, yeah. And I, I said I have a hypothesis that a lot of people just kind of don't take that time to examine themselves or think about how they could change, and they just kind of go about life, their lives, and they're yeah. unhappy. So I said, is self-reflection the key to that? And then you said, I'll give you an alternate take. I'm not recapturing the feeling, but I was almost certainly about to say that really that's more of a question of what do you, like, what are the things that you not value life on, but what's your value system, right? So is how happy, uh, how important is happiness to you? That's one. Mm -hmm. um, like, I know a lot of people stay in a marriage that they're not necessarily satisfied with because of their value system. Like mm. they believe that it's worth doing that for the kids. Right. Yeah. And so at a value system level, I, I don't fault them at all. It's such a beautiful gift. And the, in fact, I'll, I'll, um, no, I won't. Uh, I will say that it's, um, it is actually incredibly kind of them. I think it's probably a mistake, and I think people probably feel the tension. And I'll obviously, if you're arguing in front of the kids and stuff, then they feel that tension 100%. But even if you don't argue in front of the kids, they probably feel the, the unease in the house. So it's probably not the best idea anyway, but I get that it's a gift. So it really you're, comes you're down sacrificing. To, right. Yeah. It really comes down to um, what your value system is. And, and so um, I think people just need to... I always hate it when my like really honest answer is wildly offensive. But here's my really honest answer. People need to hold themselves to a higher standard. And I think people are just willing to accept in their life a low grade of suffering because they don't expect themselves to achieve like incredible shit. Yeah. Like once you're like, 
this, like, we need to find a cool way to turn this into a t-shirt. Once you accept that you can do anything you set your mind to, how you spend your time is a spiritual consideration. To waste your time unhappy at a job, to waste your time unhappy in a marriage, to yeah. waste your time unhappy in anything, it's because you don't believe you're going to do anything. And so you can accept a suboptimal level of performance from yourself. You just can. I, I would never. And I have in the past. Don't get me wrong, dude. I've wasted so many years doing stupid shit. And I like to think that I've talked so much about my failures in that area that this isn't me saying that I'm cool. This is me saying, fuck, I've done it. Trust me when I say right. it does not end well. So elevate what you expect of yourself, not because there's any moral judgment on people who don't, because A, it's going to improve your quality of life, and B, you actually can do what you set your mind to. So you're capable of having change in the world. You're certainly capable of wildly impacting your family. I remember now what I was going to say, wildly impacting your family. <laughs> you need to change the people that you're around. That's the, the big thing. So Another if, thing from the episode. Did he? Wow, yeah. Jesus. Uh, you guys okay. were... We were all over the place. Yeah. And guys, unfortunately, because I had the flu, I have not had a chance to like sit down today and refresh <laughs> myself. Um, but that's a huge one. Like if, if you go internally and either see nothing or see exactly what you should do, like is sort of irrelevant. The answer is going to be, you've got to change your circumstance. You've got to yeah. change the people that you're with. You've got to get like a fresh input and you've got to be held to a fresh standard and doing it by yourself is virtually impossible. And one of the greatest gifts I've ever had, of course, is my wife, but it's the way that she holds me to a standard. And I at least know I always have this one other person that's going to reinforce that in me. And then, I mean, we've built literally a community just inside the company. Forget like the actual outside community, just here in the company, we hold each other to a value system. And then the community that we're building the same. So getting yourself around people that are going to push you is critical. That's great. There's a lot, there's a lot of different paths we can go. It's the garden of forking paths. So nice. here, here we are. Um, before we jump into this, I want to give a quick shout out to what you're saying about value system, I think is super interesting because it's really at the core of how you start to find purpose, how you start to find happiness. And I want to give a shout out to the Nerd Writer episode, yeah. which I think I've mentioned before, but that's a sleeper that I think not a lot of people have seen Is that yet. your favorite app? It's not my favorite app, but there's just something about it that... Someone that doesn't get enough love for you. It does, he doesn't get enough love, and I think it was... Um, that what was discussed was different from any other episode. <coughs> so it's about creating your worldview. It's about figuring out what is meaningful to you, what you value. And I think it's a great kind of tutorial on how to do that. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Now, I won't digress there, but I will get to a question from our audience on Facebook Live. So it's from Gabriel Deliberali. I saw, this, is this live right now? Yeah. Because I think I responded to him on YouTube like yesterday or Facebook maybe. Well, he's in Facebook now, so thanks, Gabe. Um, and this is a perfect uh, jumping off point for talking about feeling in the body. So he says, can you explain a little bit better the point of view that Dr. Drew spoke about feeling with the body? He said we have neurons on our core. What do you know about that? And I want to add, he said we might have three mini brains in our body, which I, like... That just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, which, by the way, is not a maybe. You do. Um, there's, <coughs> God, I can never remember if it's 50 or 500, but you have either 50 million or 500 million neurons in, and there's a really fancy name for it, which I should remember because it would make me feel cool. 
um, in your digestive tract. So from your esophagus down to, yeah, um, it is insane. It's why you have that sense of knowing something in your gut because literally the same things that make up your brain are in your digestive tract. You actually and it's like do. in the lining of your esophagus and the lining of your intestines. Ah, the word lining may be entirely misleading. I'm at the edge of what I understand. Okay. Um, well, I'm so. well beyond the edge of what I understand, <laughs> which is why I'm asking. But you have the equivalent of a cat brain. A cat brain, dude. Like cats knock shit off tables and like mess with you. And like they're wicked intelligent animals. Yeah. And you have the equivalent of a cat brain in your digestive tract. That's pretty cool. It's insane. Yeah. So, so what, what do you make of that though? I mean, the, cause it really struck me and I was reading some of the YouTube comments before and it also struck a lot of people that, wow, that's why we feel these things in our chest. That's mm-hmm. why like, you know, he talks about heartbreak and you yeah. feel it here. I mean, do you, do you agree with that? Um, I don't know enough other than to intuit. Um, So when the doctor says that's why you feel it and they've gone to medical school and spent a lot more time talking about this than me, um, I I will bow to his expertise on that. I didn't necessarily agree with everything about like um, some of his like, how about this? I've never experienced some of what he talks about with the bodily intuiting things and stuff like that. Um, so uh, my experience is an echo exactly his, but from an intellectual understanding, I will just say he probably knows more about it than I do. I thought it was super interesting that you have this, uh, man of science who is really open to possibility, open to the inexplicable, Mm -hmm. right? Like he's, there's things we don't know. There's things that we don't understand bordering on sort of the mystical almost. I would say, yeah, he, probably goes beyond the border. And I don't, I don't mean that as a derogatory term. No, I mean, no, not at all. fascinating. Mm. I mean, he was super fascinating. I, um, there is something we don't understand. Like that is the only promise I can make you. Like yep. however much we know, there is an edge. And beyond that edge is a world that is so much more vast than the world that we do know yeah. that when anybody displays a degree of certainty, that's when I distrust them immediately like there yeah nobody knows right we don't even have a unifying theory of physics theory of physics that's true so at that point you just have to admit yeah there's there is a lot of stuff that we don't get so people that um that are certain about the mystical or people that are certain about science both of them are like crazy to me it's like we just there's an edge to what we know and understand and beyond that is a gigantic world and that to me is is the beauty. And this is what I loved about Dr. Drew is he loves the exploration. Like he said, there, there are things that science have proven you can take off the table of questions. Like it's done. Like we don't have to waste time with that anymore. But there's so many interesting questions left to be had on the table to explore, to think yeah. about, to figure out, you know, just to, to also remove from the table, to find a new direction to go down. But to say that we know everything is, is pretty criminal. And I think only limits the the beauty of what can become, right? And that's my big fear about dogma is once you think you know, you're no longer open. And that, that, as you so rightly said, for a man of science to be as open as he is to the unknown, to the things we don't understand, to the mysterious, beautiful wonderment, it's really, really cool. It's awesome. 
Um, I want to remind everyone what we're doing here. We're on Facebook Live, or you're listening on podcast or YouTube, and we are going over the episode of um, Dr. Drew on Impact Theory. This is After Impact, the show where Tom and I, we unpack the episode of Impact Theory, if you will. Uh, we actually considered calling it Unpacked. That was the name that I wanted, <laughs> Unpacked, yeah. A little pun there, yeah. Nice. Um, I had a lot of names like that for our company. You, did. And, and, you were and you our, were like a naming fiend. Yeah, well, I have to admit, you certainly came. We up didn't with a land lot on of any of my ideas, so. <laughs> didn't we? Um, maybe we did. I don't know. Definitely not. I would be company. a little surprised. Anyway, what was the name that you were so obsessed with for a while for the company? Yeah. Oh, it was potentialism. Potentialism. Like <laughs> I was making really hard pitches on that as our company name. That was awesome. And it was going to be Tom Billu's potentialism. Yeah, buddy. That was the name of the show. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we got we'll to react like to that variant covers, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. like that would be fun. Um, parallel universe impact theory. So we're on Facebook live. Also, I want to remind people who are listening on the podcast or YouTube. Um, if you have questions and you don't participate in Facebook live cause you're working, we get it. Feel free to email them over before we, um, shoot this on Wednesdays nice. and we'll get them answered for you. So, here's a question from Michael Foster. Michael Foster, what's up, dude? Yeah. What are some of the healthy addictions that you believe are essential to live a full life? Reading. (laughs) Didn't even even finish the question, Michael Foster. Didn't have to. Reading. Reading. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Big time. No, I'll just leave it at that. Reading is everything. Reading, and I guess working out. I mean, don't Karen Carpenter that piece, right? You can get yourself into trouble. I missed um, that. I went right over my head. Really? Yeah. Karen Carpenter? Yep. Oh, man. So this is actually a really sad story. Um, so Karen Carpenter uh, from the band The Carpenters, I'm almost certain that's true. Okay. Um, like brother and sister. Um, and she became anorexic and just kept going, kept going, kept going, and ultimately passed away. Uh, um, that's sad. So, yeah, I mean, obviously there's... But I don't consider that working out. Like healthy eating is another one. Like that's great. And um, so, yeah, I would say those. Cool. But reading, oddly enough, is actually, I'm more bullish about that than I am healthy lifestyle. Believe nice. it or not. Um, we got to talk about the, the notion that, um, all right, so you, you had mentioned earlier just now that you it's the five people you're around go change the people you're around if you want to create change and dr drew also said that um mo- things happen to people it's a moment of change but what the precursor to that is that they meet someone else who gives them a different perspective mm-hmm. on their life so that where they can step outside of themselves see themselves through that person's right. lens and then that's when they have a moment of change Tell me, tell me more about that. What was your reaction to that? Because I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it, what I find fascinating is the way that we can see. So it's theory of mind, right? So that you're able to project yourself into that person and look back at yourself, which mm-hmm. is pretty interesting. Um, and the way that we do that as humans can be deleterious or it can be advantageous. So it just... And that's, you know, comes back to that notion of do and believe that which moves you forward. Like if you look at yourself in a way and you're disgusted by seeing yourself through somebody else's eyes and it helps you then stay there for a minute. But if you do that and then it starts to erode your sense of self and it makes you feel helpless or stupid, 
um, then you have to learn to shut it off. And mm -hmm. so, you know, like so many things with the human mind, you have to be so careful not to become obsessed with it. And that's why I, I really think it's important in this concept, I'm going to beat this one to death, to spend 80% or 80 of your time in the positive and 20% in the negative. And that you, the negative will always seem more true. And that's where people get themselves into trouble. Like yep. just the way humans are wired. Negative is going to seem more true. So when you see something in yourself that is negative, you're going to be like, oh my God, that's true. But all this positive stuff, yeah, it's not really true. And I feel like I'm lying to myself. Yeah. And so like you get into this weird where even if that's real, it does not serve you to spend more than 20% of your time in, in the darkness. Yeah. Um, and so people have to learn to separate what they do from what they perceive is true. Um, because the, the stuff you perceive is true is a lie anyway. So you have to be really careful with that. But, um, it, it is an interesting quirk of human biology that as social creatures, a, that we can do it, that we can project ourselves into somebody, look back at ourselves and then B it's really ironic how distorted that actually is. And that you're, it's anything but an accurate look back at yourself. And so sort of learning how much of life is funhouse mirrors and that you have to be, that's why I believe you have to pick and choose. In fact, that may just be a better way to explain this. All of life is funhouse mirrors, man. You are looking at everything in a distorted fashion, everything. And so which distortion are you going to believe? Because none of them are accurate. So, And does that change with the people you surround yourself with? Inevitably. Every, every person is a different funhouse mirror yeah. to look back at yourself. So it's really important that you choose the right people to be around. Yeah, and I don't, honestly, like, I don't think that's, um, that's not the, uh, that's not the... We're not ready to make that leap. No, it's not that. I'm just really thinking about, because really what you're doing is you're picking up on how people treat you. And every time I want to finish the sentence with that's not, like, seeing yourself the way that they see you via what we'll call theory of mind is is not the, the major behavior shaper, um, but the way that they treat you is. And so what happens is you get in a group and let's say that if you come in and you're like, man, I can improve, I can do it. And your five people are like, man, don't be an asshole, don't be an idiot, like you're leaving us behind. Then you're literally gonna slack off. Yeah. And if on the other hand, you show up and you're like, man, like I'm tired today and I just can't be bothered. This is dumb. And they're all like, dude, what are you doing? Like, come on, you're going to waste your life thinking like that. Come on, you got to be positive. Then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you mm -hmm. want to be positive. So the way that people treat you, the directions that they push you in, that's hugely important. But I would say that's different than the funhouse mirror effect of mm -hmm. how you look at yourself. That's wanting to fit in. And anybody who says that like they don't care about fitting in anywhere, bullshit. Yeah. People want to try. Everybody wants to try. So, there's a book on that. Seth Godin. Have you read it? Mm -hmm. I haven't read it either, but it's on my list. Anyway, um, I want to give a couple shout outs. We have Mayan Nguyen from Calgary. Got Calgary in the house. Nice. Anna Mena from Berlin. What's up, Anna? Jiro uh, from Quebec City. That's my best attempt at that name. Nice. Jiro? J. Rio. Maybe. All right. Two, two words. Okay. Yeah. J. Rio. J. Rio. Um, we've got a comment from Ian Pettit. I haven't heard from Ian in a while. What's up, Ian? Uh, the world is not only stranger than we imagine, it is stranger, stranger than we can imagine. That's almost certainly true. Nice. 
Here's a question from Daniel Breeze. Dr. Drew seemed to have a different opinion than you, but I'm a big believer that you're the sum of the five closest people to you. Have you ever had to change the people around you? We were just talking about this. I try to surround myself online by people um, that I would want to influence me, which is why Impact Theory is so amazing. Nice, man. Thanks, Daniel. That means a lot. That's what this is all about. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I don't think everybody agrees with the notion of you're the average of the five people, but they're wrong. <laughs> according to you what do you mean oh no uh yeah i i really do believe that though i think that um i mean look it's an oversimplification to say that you're the average or whatever but it it is so important i just cannot stress that enough so important yeah um let's see what else do i have to ask you here he also said that if you want to change behavior you actually have to start leading a different life which feels kind of like weirdly counterintuitive. Like if you want to change behavior, then you have to do things differently, which is like mm. it's a snake eating its tail. Right. Yeah. What do you think about that? To me, behavior is entirely driven by identity. Like, yeah. and, but it, to your point about the snake eating its tail, it's like, how do you change your identity if, it's not real, right? So how do you take on a new identity until like it's actually your identity? And so that to me is, is where I sat back and I said, okay, what is the process by which I do this? And it is so rudimentary that pe- I'm surprised people don't write in and say, like that doesn't even make any sense because the answer is you just say it fucking out loud. Like I am the type of person that X, Y, Z that I, uh, I don't lay in bed. Right. So I struggled with laying in bed too much and being super lazy. And so I just started saying, I'm the type of guy that gets out of bed in 10 minutes. Just simple as not lazy. Yeah. That's actually not true. I don't ever say that. I am lazy profoundly. And it's important for me to remember that so that I'm putting these, um, systems in place to make sure that I don't succumb to the laziness. And so Started saying that, cool, now I had a rule. It was very easy, yes or no, pass or fail. Either I did or didn't get out of bed within 10 minutes. And to say it and not feel like a total fraud, it had to be real. And maybe I just have an overdeveloped sense of A, not wanting to feel like a fraud, and then B, (coughs) feeling like a fraud when I say something that isn't true. Yeah. So like when I did the three-day fast and I refused to take Advil, even though no one would have ever known, I could have, first of all, I could have just eaten and then told people that I was fasting. No one would have ever known. Um, And I just couldn't. For me, right? Because I didn't want to feel like a fraud and I really wanted to have done a fast. Yeah. So there it is, man. Identity, right? Identity. And you can plug in things like I'm the type of person that does what he says, like, like there's an infinite number of things you can just start saying, this is me, this is me, I'm that type of person. And then because I take pride in those positive things, like to feel good about myself, like it all drives my behavior. It reminds me of a, an idea that I can't remember who she is, but she had a very famous TED talk and uh, she's very well regarded, but she had this notion that fake it until you become it, mm. which is... Uh, it sounds similar to what you're saying in, in the sense that you may not be that yet, but as long as you keep telling yourself and as long as you keep acting in that identity that you want to be, you will ultimately become that. You will ultimately gain the skills and the knowledge and the confidence to be that thing that you 
don't think you are today. Is that similar to you? Uh, very, yeah. very much so. So here's the thing. I can almost just emphatically agree with everything you said. The only part that I have to take exception with is you won't necessarily gain the skills. Uh. So you, it is a hilarious but important thing to understand about human nature that whatever, what my friend, whatever you repeat to yourself, you will believe. So if you tell yourself, you dumb, you dumb, you dumb, you dumb, you dumb, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you will believe it. Yeah. On a long enough timeline, you will believe it. And this is, um, this is something that you see in family dynamics, which is so, so tragic, or what I'll dub from here on out the Solieri effect. And Solieri in Amadeus finally comes to the realization that he's just good enough to recognize how much better Mozart is. And in any other time, in any other town, Solieri may have been the most um, contented, happy musician because he looks around him, nobody else is as good as he is, and so people lavish him with praise and attention, and he loves it, and he plays beautiful music that makes people happy, and so, hey, you're proud of yourself for being good at something that brings joy to other people. Win-win, love that. But Amadeus comes into your town, hands you your ass, and now you feel bad, even though he's the only person better than him. So... That's a weird dynamic that you could also call the little brother effect, mm -hmm. right? Where just because your brother is better than you at something, even though you might be better than everyone else on the planet, because your brother is better than you, that's all you see. And yeah. you judge yourself against that person because of proximity. Yeah. So it's <coughs> it will become real because you tell yourself, I'm not as good as my brother, not as good, not as good, not as good, not as good. And then... <coughs> Um, I am soon, I'll be better. Um, so it is, yeah, it's really, really bizarre. But the great news is that the opposite works as well. And if you tell yourself, like, I can get good at anything I set my mind to, all of a sudden you actually can, right? Because you open yourself up to the possibility that that's real. And then you're saying it so much for years and years and years that it is truly baked into your personality. And then when you hit an obstacle, the little voice in your head just kicks forward the notion. You can... Do anything you set your mind to. So, huh, what's going to be the solution around this? Dude, I can't tell you how many times, like, I still have that sense of, I don't want to say being a fraud because it's not that. It's just being surprised at how seriously people take you. That they don't question you the way you question yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, I just did a call today. And I'm on the call. And the things that I'm explaining to this person who is a very well-known person. And I'm saying, you know, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're building. Would love to do something with you. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I'm super interested. Like, this could really be something. And I thought, oh my God, like he actually, like, like that, with no um, hesitation, sees the vision, buys into the vision, is interested in continuing the conversation. So it's like, and being willing to dream that big and, and I don't mean dream in like an empty way. And this is really what I want people to understand. Like repeating something in your head enough allows you to expand your sphere of what you believe to be possible. You will only pursue things you actually believe to be possible, at least in any serious way. You might sort of take that first fake step. And, but to really believe 
that you can do it is to hit the obstacle and not stop. Because if you don't believe it's true, when you hit the obstacle, it is simply reinforcement of what you already knew to be true, which is that you can't do it. Mm. Whereas when you believe it to your core through repetition, Mm. right? Not through grand performance. Like when I said, you know, hey, I can... um, learn all this business stuff. It wasn't because I'd had business success, right? But because I believed it and I opened my mind to being able to get good at something, then I actually could. Uh, When I told myself as a kid, you know, one day I'm gonna be rich, it's not because I was rich. I just opened my mind up to allowing it to be true when I said I'm gonna have six pack abs, not because I'd ever been anything but slightly chubby. I just believed that I could make it true. So because of that, like I always took the sincere steps, right? The sincere steps steps and most people don't take sincere steps they're literally waiting for that first obstacle so they can relax and i remember that happening in business i would hit an obstacle and i would relax but there was this voice in my head that was like dude what are you doing like you know that relaxing right now you're never going to get where you're going i remember this day so this was when um i had started working with the guys that would become my partners mike and ron and they, I don't know, they were traveling or something. And I thought, oh, I can relax. And then I thought, wait a second. Like, why would I want to relax? What does this have to do with them? This isn't about them. It's about me. It's about what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. And then I was like, holy shit. Like, that's where I've been my whole life was as soon as, like, the perceived authority was gone, I would relax. And I was like, that's so contrary to my goals. It's that whole period where I'm like, it's so God. common, though. It's very common. I think because most people aren't actually trying to do anything because they don't sincerely believe that they can do it right like if you walk into a company and sincerely believe I could be CEO I could take it over whatever I could start my own company if you sincerely believe that everything that slows you down is going to piss you off because now it's just longer it's that much more work that you have to put in but when you don't believe that's really real then it's like well great the you know the cat's away the mice will play yeah and you can relax because that's what you believe is like the the truth of life anyway i could keep going on that's one of those things that's so important man really wish like if i could just give people belief in something it'd be that so the person i mentioned her name is amy cuddy somebody someone in the comments knew so nice thank you wow. thank you impactivist community uh we'll do one last question this is from chris berry uh, about the mind body connection If there are neurons in our body in other areas beside our brain, does neuroplasticity apply to these other parts of our body? Do we lay down pathways in our body as we do in our minds? Can we change this in the same way through learning? Well, we are officially beyond what I understand. But this question question is insanely interesting. But we'll we'll round it to muscle memory. Okay. So maybe. But I don't think the I don't think neuronal tissue is widespread like that neuronal tissue as far as i know runs down like that right so it starts in the brain i don't think there's a gap there maybe it's broken but at least as my sort of vague understanding is as the fetus developed it actually is one area and then it literally breaks Uh. apart as you develop um so i think that they're contiguous um so my gut instinct is it isn't it isn't like sort of that widespread. But muscle memory is a real thing, and obviously you can train yourself. And now the real question is how far does myelination go? And I don't know the answer to that. So um, like I think the sense of muscle memory, if I had to guess, 
it can't be entirely in the brain because there's certain things that like you can't even process cognitively and you've already jumped back or whatever. Um, So now I'm just prognosticating. I have no idea. But it's utterly a fascinating question. We should uh, we should have like these. We should figure out a way to list all these questions somewhere and then find someone who can answer them for that us. That would be cool. Bring them it's on the show really cool or idea. do a different yeah. segment or something. Um, we can call it the edge of what Tom knows. Nice. <laughs> the edge like. of knowledge. The edge of knowledge. Uh, yeah. So I think that's it for today. Those are all the questions. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, no, I mean, if we're out of time, then I'm good. Or are we uh, washing? We have three minutes, I think. We have wow, a, look at that. We have a couple of minutes. Um, well, then I Oh, you, we didn't talk about happiness. We didn't talk about That was the one thing happiness. I forgot about. Okay. Uh, eudaimonic, eudaimonic happiness mm-hmm. uh, is what Dr. Drew is interested in. He distinguishes that from pleasure. And he says uh, eudaimonic happiness requires two things. Uh, techni, which is like technical skill, mm. and phronesis, yes. which is experience is wisdom essentially that you mm. gain through experience and he says that when you apply that to um, serving some someone else or something else uh, that's what gives you purpose and that's what actually gives you this true lasting happiness which is like self-nourishing or s- nurturing self-sustaining and flourishing what do you make of that yeah i mean eudaimonia is is the the juice it's the holy grail it's really what people should be focusing on in their life and um it it is the only thing that i would say is universal for humans like that's what we want that's what we're looking for that is one of the deepest and most pleasurable neurochemical states and the moment somebody can put in a pill form without some freakish side effects a sense of well-being um in a pill like that's it done like nobody will need to do like that's the ultimate soma right Mm. is to is to feel content and but not content like i have enough content like i've lived my life well you know what i mean i've contributed meaningfully like there's just that is that is the ultimate chemical reward for a social animal is to feel connected you've done something positive for the group and i love what he talked about with techni like it's why ladling soup at the soup kitchen just isn't going to do it for most people not long term like you want to feel like i've done something that only i could do like i brought something unique to the table and it has positively impacted somebody else's life and when you get sort of just objective and you rise above the algorithms it's like why does that matter? Why do you need to have impacted another person? But yet, that is the human condition, and we do. And to be able to have been of service, of real service to somebody else, is so intoxicating for humans. But that notion of it's based around something, a skill that you've acquired, it's not something anybody could do. It's really specific to you and who you are and what you fought hard to learn. And it that's really, really important. And is that the, would you say that that's a direct parallel to your concept of framework happiness or is essentially kind of the same? Eudaimonia thing? is framework happiness. Got it. Just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I just, about that a lot. I didn't have that word. Yeah. So where was Dr. Drew four or five years ago? <laughs> you know who else talked about it? Uh, this is a call back to Inside Quest. Um, 
uh, Rain Wilson. Used eudaimonia? Yeah. Wow. The funny thing is, that. when Dr. Drew brought it up, I was like, oh, I've heard this before. Rain Wilson. But never could have pinned it down to Rain. He's a really interesting guy. He's deep. Deep, yeah. A. And he, there's two people I sort of credit with the modern version of um, the modern, like when we get a, uh, a big guest, I think, man, this like tracks back ultimately to Rain. Because mm-hmm. Rain was our first like famous person who gave like a lot of credibility. And then he started the knockdown effect of he helped me get Peter Diamandis, who then helped me get Tony Robbins. And then, you know, from yeah. there it was just like domino, domino, domino. That's right. Awesome. Rain is the lead domino. Mad, mad love to Rain. That's awesome. All right. I think we're ready to wrap it up here. Um, I'm going to give three takeaways from the episode, three takeaways that I thought were fascinating. Uh, the first is get around people who are going to provide you with a different perspective of yourself. I think that's really interesting. We talked about it at length in this episode of After Impact. The second is rather uh, rather than seek pleasure, seek eudaimonic happiness. I don't know why I'm struggling with that word today. Uh, which is when you have a level of technical skill combined with experience and applied towards serving your community. And the third is gratitude is the number one sign you're happy, according to Dr. Drew, which I think is fascinating. Nice. So. I love it. Well, thanks for those. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I really hope this is my last episode. Coughing and spluttering, being sick has really sucked. I have not been this sick in a very long time, so I appreciate you uh, bearing with me here through this episode, and I'm sure I sound a little funny. Um, If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.